Hey there, I'm Lee Rowley, and this is Lee After Dark. Why? Because there's more to being a business leader than just business. Each episode, one brave entrepreneur ejects the elevator pitch and just gets real. Today, I'd like to welcome my friend, Lee Lander. Lee, how are you today? I'm good, Lee. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to uh, chat with us. Uh, so the rules are simple. So for the next 20 minutes, we can talk about anything you want except your business. Afterward, you'll have up to five minutes to pitch up a storm. But if you mention your business during the interview, you'll lose one minute of pitch time at the end for each infraction. So we're going to keep you honest here, right? Absolutely. You ready to play? All right. Cool. Well, let me get a set the timer here for 20 minutes. And what are we getting into for the next 20 minutes? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on here. This is, a, this is a lot of fun. I've been enjoying watching your other episodes and catching up with what everybody's doing. I've been learning so much about people. This is super cool. I love it. Thank you very much. I've been learning a lot as well. Uh, you know, it, it's, I find that I get as much out of it as anybody. So, you know, it, it seems a little unfair, but I'll take it. Yeah. You bet. <laughs> so, so today I was thinking we could um, discuss the thing that everyone likes to sweep under the rug and talk about a little bit of mental health and mental illness and all that uh, kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah. Let's, let's dive right into that. That's something that actually comes up uh, fairly frequently on this podcast. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Something to do with entrepreneurism, artisans, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. We walk a fine line of bravery and uh, a little bit of insanity. <laughs> There has to be some something going on that's different for us to want to go, nah, the, the corporate health insurance and the nine to five <laughs> and the getting to leave it all at work and the weekends and the vacations and the holidays, nah, nah, I don't need any of that. Don't need oh. it. <laughs> yeah, that was a scary moment jumping off that platform. But um, yeah, so, you know, I started a group recently, speaking of which uh, I call it Dirt Under the Carpet. And it's uh -huh. a little closed Facebook group just because of this very reason is like, um, this is the thing nobody wants to talk about. Everyone wants to kind of sweep it under the rug and pretend like, you know, it's not happening or they just don't know how to talk about it. A lot of people, I mean, it's getting better. I mean, I have to say it's getting a lot better. We're making a lot of progress, but it's still one of those things that, um, you know, like if someone has, you know, cancer or something else like my husband's dealing with that right now, you know, people will offer all kinds of help for that. You know, like they're going to bring meals, they're going to wash my house, you know, they're mm -hmm. going to do everything, which we don't need right now, thankfully. But, you know, if you mention you're in severe depression, I mean, people scatter, scatter away. Sure. <laughs> and don't know what to do and pretend it's not happening or, or they'll say like, just, just think yourself happy, you know? And, uh, or I'll pray for you, or you pray harder, or, you know, like do all the things that you know you should be doing, you know, but those things are really not helpful. So, you know, you just gotta, um, you really have to do a lot of soul searching, right? And figure out what, for me, what happened, I'll just kind of get into it. For me, it was like a crossroad, a intersection, a breakdown, total breakdown for me. And um, so I was forced to really look into what's going on because uh, personally, like my mom 
had schizophrenia. As, so I grew up with a mom with severe mental illness as a child. And that was a really weird experience because back then, especially back then, no one knew what to do with that and no one wanted to talk about it. And I, as a kid, also wanted to hide it. So I really didn't tell my teachers what I was dealing with. You know, I just acted out kind of, you know, and did some odd things. Plus, we moved constantly. With my mom being unstable, we couldn't live in a place for more than sometimes six months, you know, to a year if we were lucky. So we were on the move all the time, living with whoever, wherever, you know. Um, sometimes we'd have an apartment. Sometimes we were living with a relative, you know. It was just a very disjointed childhood. So I never really got to make deep friendships or you know, know how to do that. I mean, there were some times when I didn't even know the name of my school. Like when I look back and people are like, what, what was your name of your school? I don't even know some of my elementary school names. I don't even know where I was. <laughs> and, um, but because of that, you know, it was just uh, dealing with that whole thing made me very interested in psychology from the get go because uh. you're living it. And even at a young age, I didn't really understand or know, um, you know, you could even study psychology. But as a kid, I was just, I was living these experiences, um, learning how to walk that fine line. And because you never know, I never knew what kind of, um, which mom I was going to get the day, that day, or, you know, mm. if what I was going to say was going to set her off. Or, I mean, she would have outright hallucinations. I mean, it was severe at times. Okay. She would... Um, I mean, here's some interesting things. Like, uh, she hallucinated a couple of times that um, aliens were coming in through the light sockets, like the electrical outlets. And so to protect me, she would um, like unplug all of the electrical appliances, radios, phones, um, or whatever, you know, like anything that was in a wall. She'd unplug everything and tape the outlets so the aliens couldn't come in through the outlets. and put me in a closet to keep me safe, you know? Wow. And when you're seven, you're like, you're pretty sure this isn't true, but then you're just young enough where you like still believe anything your parents say, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're that mm -hmm. adamant about covering up the outlets and things like that, you know, like there's a hint of like, what if this is true? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of crazy. So um, stuff like that, dealing with that at a young age and trying to make sense of it, that was the weirdest that was like like I said you know this is probably her reality is probably not my reality because you know you don't see the things she's seen like sometimes sure. she'd see thousands of spiders on the wall and she'd start freaking out and screaming at me to get the spiders off of her or something like that and I'm like I don't see the spiders and then she'd get mad at me because I didn't see the spiders and that was that would roll into another tailspin or whatever but you know so I knew enough to know that okay she's broken I don't see what she's seen, you know, it's okay. But um, I, I got angry at her, you know, I was just young and I was angry and I just needed a mom and mm -hmm. I needed a protection. I need nurturing, all that kind of stuff. And I really wasn't getting it. Cause you know, when you're a kid, it's all about you, you know, and it's, uh, I was a little selfish, I guess, in that regard, because I just didn't understand it, you know, and I was just kind of angry and just wanting her to be normal you know and sure. not realizing everything she was dealing with all the battles she was dealing with mm -hmm. and um not until i was an adult did i really understand 
the reality she dealt with like uh in her later years um she just passed away this january um a couple years ago she she just she has these moments of clarity right she has these moments where she's just completely normal and that almost makes it harder mm-hmm. as a kid that almost made it harder because if she was just always gone then you're like okay but when she would have moments of clarity and you know love and you know those moments where um you could feel her and see her and she was really there mm-hmm. uh it made those other moments harder because she could turn in an instant and you're trying to make sense of it like is what is love to her and my sense of love got way warped you know because of all that sure but um a couple of years ago she was sitting there and she had this moment of clarity and she said you know leanne i have to take all these medications for anyone to even like me she's like you know no one likes the real me wow. you know and it was like it just stabbed my heart, you know, because it's like, that's when I realized she's aware of her battle, you know, and it's a battle that she's fought alone. She fought alone and, and hard. And, you know, I mean, I came through in the end, I, you know, as an adult, I came through and I helped her a lot and I, you know, moved her out of place after place and, you know, just tried to take care of her as best as I could. And, and that's the thing is um, I have an older brother and we always kind of joke like, we didn't do the greatest at raising our mom. <laughs> you know, we just have to find some humor there. Sure. We did our best, you know, but um, it was just a really human moment when she said that, you know, and I, and then since she was gone the next five minutes, you know, like it's just, she's fleeting moments where she was very real. And the next moment she's like, Hey, <laughs> like she would talk nonsense all the time. Like, it disjointed sentences and stuff that didn't make sense. So she, she, you know, after that moment that was so heavy and real, like she went back to talking about Russians doing x-rays and then room next door and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> wow. It was just wild. What, what an experience. But then, you know, to, to know who you are today and, and we've, you know, been friends for a while. So, uh, you know, what do you think, I mean, you know, other than just you don't have a choice, gets you through something like that and keeps you from from going, gosh, I just, I can't take any more of this. Because, you know, when you're taking some, taking caring for someone like this, either as a child or as an adult, it's exhausting. And there are these times where it does feel personal, even though you don't, you know in your head, okay, look, this isn't really about me. Or this isn't really about what we're, you know, we're saying it's about. This is something completely different. Um, but you know, what do you, what do you think helped you through that? Grit and the will to just take care of her because it did shift. It shifted from me to like, I'm, I'm the head of the household because, uh, my parents did get divorced early on because of the illness. Um, not my dad's choice. My dad really fell into a deep depression because he really wanted to kind of save her and he couldn't. Um, you know, mom was hallucinating that he was a bear at uh, one time. <laughs> like she just couldn't be around him. Like he was part of the angst and cause for some of her episodes. So it was more of like he stopped fighting and, and just gave in to, for, it was like a self-sacrifice. Like, okay, I'm going to mm. let you go because I can't keep making you worse. So when that happened, 
and it was like, okay, it's me and mom and against the world. And I grew up very fast, like you said, and it was very exhausting because there were times when I was like alone at home because she literally would disappear sometimes. I hear I'm like eight and we're in this apartment in the not the greatest part of town and she just wouldn't come home sometimes and you're like looking for like sometimes the electric would be on <laughs> sometimes the bill hadn't been paid and you know you're sitting in a cold apartment eating spaghetti noodles because that's all you can afford i remember many meals of spaghetti noodles butter and tuna <laughs> so um but you just kind of get to the place where you're like it's survival mode you know and you've got to be the person kind of holding it together. It didn't, I didn't know I had any other choice because it was my personality was very like, um, like my, my youngest daughter, she's very rule abiding, you know, she's not a rebel. She's taking care, you know, like she has everything in order. And I was very similar as a kid. Like I just, I fought for that normalcy. And so if I sure. wasn't, if she wasn't gonna provide it, I was gonna try to provide it, whatever I thought that was. But there, you know, there are times when she wasn't, coming home, you know, there's these confidentiality laws. And even back then, like if you check yourself into a hospital, um, if a mental hospital, if someone calls to ask if they're there, there's a confidentiality law that they can't say that person is actually checked in mm -hmm. there. Right. So here I am eight years old trying to call these hospitals, like, trying to find my mom like is she in a ditch somewhere or is she in the hospital which I'm hoping or something and there it was just a really weird time of life because they couldn't re release her name or say she was there even if she was and I'm eight so I can't like drive around and find her you know it was just it was just really weird and um like me and my brother we would kind of make jokes about it. I remember this one time in particular we were looking for her and she had just visited Disneyland and she was having hallucinations that she was Minnie Mouse for a little while and so I was like calling around the hospitals and like do you have a you know do you have this person well we can't say that you know I'm like and I was we were just like losing it really it's like okay is Minnie Mouse there <laughs> there is a Minnie Mouse there and we're thinking well you know what there might be multiple Minnie Mouses there so our Minnie Mouse looks like <laughs> mm -hmm. you know she's short and brown oh, you know wow. it, you just kind of find some humor in it right because otherwise sure. you're just gonna crack you know so it was a really interesting thing and um through the years to your point like who I am now how did it mold me and form me um I ended up suppressing all of it for many years all through my high school my 20s my 30s you know and what I did is I sought out things that I thought would kind of fill those gaps and voids you know in high school it was religion like I read the bible front to back like I just needed some kind of guidance I'm like well I think I'll get some guidance here you know so I took it verbatim and I was like a sponge and I was like sister Christian all through high school basically I was kind of had a reputation I think and then um but secretly I was still falling apart you know and totally masking it and couldn't tell anyone still really what was going on I was just still kind of like I mean to say the things I, I've already said out loud if I would say that to a school counselor I mean like she'd be like aliens in the light sockets what mm -hmm. <laughs> you know I didn't even know how to say that back then you know so sure. I would just hide it 
But then I got into the young adult years and I just rebelled complete opposite. I went like self-destruction mode. I didn't realize it, but I was, I think, slowly trying to kill myself, you know, just I was like drinking like crazy. I mean, there were moments I just, I don't even know how I survived it. I was just looking to, um, I don't know, escape maybe or cope or whatever it was. Right. And because she was um, at moments when she was ill, she would say awful things, you know, call me awful names and say awful things to me. And those sink into my psyche. So I, you know, I think in my younger years, I was just believing those titles and those things that she said, you know, I was buying into it. I'm, I'm trash. I'm whatever, you know? So I was just, I think slowly just, I was, I was living very recklessly. And, um, so I, at some point, um, I started cleaning up my act. I got a really good job, you know, I, started just becoming a workaholic. So I traded one thing for another, these like secret little addictions, I think, you know, what, first it was like religion, then it was alcoholism. And then it was like now work it workaholic. I mean, I was working 70, 80 hours a week and all that kind of stuff and just learning everything I could about what I was doing. And that was my identity for a while, you know, but over time I was, um, you know, I was able to like, I got married, I, I, I started living a normal life. And when I had kids, that's when like, everything changed for me. You know, what I mean, like, I was like, a new person, right? You know, I was like having, and it was scary as heck, too. I had thought about it a lot. I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I have no idea how to be a mom. Right? I just said, I will just do everything opposite. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. So uh, that became my thing. I like threw myself completely into parenting. You know, everything was about them. And um, so fast forward a couple years, I, I got divorced and I got married again. And I got divorced and I realized, you know what? I am still broken. I'm still carrying some of these demons, even though I was, you know, all in in parenting. I wasn't all in in my relationships. You know, I was finding what I found is I was finding the wrong people, right? I was finding the people that would treat me like not the best, you know? And so um, I just had a huge breakdown right around my uh, mid thirties. It all came crashing down because uh, I had just pretended so long. I had swept it under the carpet. I had put on my mask. I had pretended so long and I was trying to do it alone. You know, I was really, I, didn't have much of a support system, you know, cause no one else knew what to do. And I didn't have a good community. I wasn't seeking that out. I wasn't taking care of myself, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and with my second divorce, it was really awful. He was having an affair and it just broke me. It totally broke me. And it was like this intersection crossroads where everything just came together and it was like a perfect storm. And I was like, my mom was right. I'm replaceable. I'm trash. I'm like, I felt honestly, I felt like an appliance wheeled out to the um, curb waiting for the trash. I mean, that's how I, I saw myself. And I was so broken. And I, I came to the point where I, um, I was just like, that's what I am. I'm a broken mess. And that's all I'm ever going to be, you know, and it was a, an awful lie. And it was at this moment that I lost all of the hope. I lost um, hope, faith, all that kind of stuff. And I, I had this moment where I attempted suicide. And it was um, something I'm not real proud of, but it was a big, big moment that um, luckily, obviously, I came to. What happened is 
I was really close to, um, I was losing consciousness and I called 911 and they got there like in the split second and the entire city was there. It was awful. Um, but what I, what I remember is realizing I'm like as much of a, of a hard childhood as I had and the strained relationship I had with my mom, I still loved her, you know, came down to, I still loved her. And I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, because up to that moment, I believed I was actually going to ruin my kids because I was so broken and they'd be better off without me at that moment. That's what got me there at that moment. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what a lie. You know, I'm like, as much as, you know, I love my mom still. I know my kids need me. I know my kids love me because I threw myself into them. We were like a unit. We were the best, you know, like it was awesome. So their faces flashed before me and I was just like, man, I got to I got to make it. I got to make it. And, um, it was the scariest moment because when the paramedics got there, they were like, I don't know, like I couldn't speak at that point. And they were just like treating me like I was a dead body. Anyway, they couldn't get a stick. They couldn't get a pulse. I mean, they couldn't, not a pulse, but they couldn't start an IV because my blood pressure was so low. So they're like talking among themselves, like, you know, like they're having a sandwich or something. They're like, I don't know if this one's going to make it. You know, I don't know. I might be here too late scared the heck out of me and it really snapped me into like oh my gosh I have to live more than ever I want to live more than ever you've got to save me and I couldn't say this but so fast forwarding blah blah blah, all the sadness blah blah blah. but I'm gonna tell you there's three things that changed my life where are we at in timing do we have time we're making time for Mm -hmm. this one okay so what I really wanted to say is um what changed my life is first of all not the attempted suicide and I want to make it clear that that is not what turned my life around because if there's anyone out there in a situation where they're like, they've lost hope, they've lost faith, they've lost love. That is not the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you know, I came dangerously close. What the answer was, was one stillness, just being quiet, taking away all of, because I was forced, you know, at this point, to be still and quiet. And that's exactly what I needed. No phones, no TVs, no, you know, nothing. And um, it was ironic because I was like, I was running from all of this, right? My mom was busy having a nervous breakdown in another state. I was trying to save her during all of this. I, I just crashed during this moment. And here I was ironically in this place. I never, ever wanted to be again because I'd visited my mom at these mental hospitals before. And now I was in one. And I like to say and laugh that I was at the OSU hospital. I was in the nut house at the nut house. <laughs> <laughs> the Buckeye nuts, you know, the higher nuts. Oh, nice. Um, and I actually couldn't even see the stadium from my room. It was just really uh, surreal. Well, come on. You at least be able to see the stadium, right? I know. Jeez. It was a good view. And I was like, this is exactly where I never, ever want to be again. You know, and I was looking around me and I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember my mom saying at certain times, she's like, they treat me like, a cattle. They don't treat me human, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just dismissed her before because I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you also see aliens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, that's the first time I really, I related to my mom in all these different ways. One, I realized that when she attempted suicide, because she attempted suicide several times in my life. So I had that model already. And one time it was a really awful, bloody attempt. It was just terrible. And I remember being so mad at her. And uh, for the first time I realized it wasn't a gimmick for her. It wasn't trying to get attention. I mean, some of the, some of them were, but this, this one attempt where she was absolutely dead serious, you know, 
it was it was a different thing. And for anyone listening out there, if anyone, if you're a survivor, for instance, of it, or if you knew someone who has done this, understand it's not about you. It's not about you could have saved someone else or anything like that. That is a decision that's very personal that people make. And it's not um, usually about a gimmick of trying to get attention. It's usually about like, look, I'm done and I'm, I just, I don't have anything more. And it's a, a release. It's an escape almost ultimate. Like it was physical pain that I was getting out of trying to just, just release from the hell that I was in. I didn't know how to get out of, you know? So anyways, um, so the stillness of the hospital forced me into like this meditative, listen to what's going on. I looked around me and I saw people that had been in there and they've like, they'd been medicated and then released. I call it catch and release. And they've come back in because that's their pattern. You know, they would just, they knew the staff by name, you know, and I'm like, holy crap, that is not going to be my reality. I will never let this moment be in vain. And that's why I talk about it openly, just because I never want that to be in vain. And um, I want to had this moment changed my life forever. So I realized, okay, I've got to change my thinking. I've got to change my lifestyle. I've got to change everything. So what I did is I started looking and I was like, um, the big thing in my life is I just didn't want to be my life. I didn't want my life. I was mad and upset that other people's life just seemed so much like they have moms that care and all that kind of stuff. So what I had to do is there's three things. It's one it was acceptance, acceptance of my life right where I was ugly good or not you know I had two beautiful kids so there's a lot of positive that I have but the negative is what I had to do the accepting on I had to accept right where I was I can't change it I can't wish my life away I spent so much time wishing I was somewhere else or someone else so I had to just be okay like I accept me for me done uh, then I had to accept others. So every every one of these, there's three things, and every one of these things were twofold. So I had to accept me for me. I had to accept others for who they were too, limits and all, and stop expectation things like stop expecting people to be different. Stop expecting them to be something more. Just accept them right where they were. So acceptance of myself, acceptance of them. The second was forgiveness and forgiveness of all of things I'd done, you know, cause I beat myself up. I was the number one flogger of myself, you know, just beating myself down for everything. And so I had to just forgive myself for those things. And I also had to forgive others for what they had done. And this I'm going to say is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time deal. All of these acceptance of these things, forgiveness of, of me and forgiveness of others. It's not just like, okay, I did that. That felt good. It's <laughs> an everyday thing. Right. It's, uh, you know, because every day uh, or every, you know, every now and then that scab is, re un you know, removed and like someone says something or does something that PTSD comes into the play. You know what I mean? Like you have to go right back and you're like, okay, I'm choosing forgiveness right now yep. and over and over and over. So it's a progress thing, not a moment in time thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Forgiveness is a process, not an act, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a lifestyle. Really? That's, you know? Yeah. That's, and that's absolutely right. Surrender. Surrendering of everything. Surrendering of control. Because I realized I was a control freak. So to your point, you know, when you're, when you're saying, how did you cope with all that? I was a control freak. I couldn't control anything uh, in mm -hmm. my life, but I was going to control my little micro world, you gotcha. know? 
and that was exhausting to your point. Yeah. Like, talk about being so tired. I realized I was such a control freak that it, I was like robbing my own happiness, you know, all the time. So I had to let go of that. I had to let go. I had to surrender control. I had to surrender um, myself, my my will, or whatever, you know, like my expectations, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, those were the three things that changed everything for me. And again, it's not like, okay, I did that. It's, it's a working out kind of thing. It's like when you're trying to weight train or working out, it's a everyday constant rewiring. So like all my thought patterns that I had before, I honestly felt like, you know, how water creates a canyon, mm -hmm. like the Grand Canyon. It's all what just water comes down the same channel every time. So when you're having those negative thoughts, you know, it's so easy for that water to come down this channel because that's what you know, it's comfort zone stuff. So I had to like, I remember in the very beginning, like thought coming, thought coming, scoot it over here down this, this path, you know, I wanted to <laughs> make it come down here and right. make a new green canyon, you know? So it does get easier, just like working out. Like you get in that routine, it does get easier, you know, but it never, um, but you stop and your progress will stop. So, you know, you got to apply those principles every day, right. every week. Yep. I, I <laughs> think a lot of us have this illusion that we're going to get to a point where we have to stop working, where it's just like, ah, I'm going to get here and then I'm going to be okay. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, in, in, the, in the Eastern philosophies, they'll say nirvana, like, you know, like it's someplace you get and then you're like, just chill all the time. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Uh, yeah. You know, and it, it doesn't work. You know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I mean, you know, so many people who have mental illness think that mental illnesses think that they're just going to get over it and everything's going to be fine. And so many people who deal with those who or take care of those who uh, have mental illness just have that like, gosh, that that secret hope that it's just going to magically go away someday. You know, and I think when you so when you talked about those flashes, as a child, that kind of had to you know maybe at least go through your mind a little bit of just like, ah, oh, she's back, you know, maybe it'll stick this time. Yeah, all the time I wish that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't always stick. So, my goodness. Well, you know what, I, I, I really appreciate you've been absolutely vulnerable and open, and this is powerful, powerful stuff. So do you have anything, you know, final thoughts on this before we uh, start to wrap up this episode? Because it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's a lot, right? It's, um, I've learned the vulnerability. Um, for some, it's absolutely uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. um, there's people in my life, they're like, shut up, stop, stop talking about it. Stop saying it out loud. Sweep it under that carpet. We don't want to hear that because it's, it's painful and scary. But I've learned that vulnerability um, creates community. You know, I've found my tribe of people by talking about it because we operate in this silo and we how many people are out there struggling right now and don't know that oh my gosh she's gone through something crazy i'm not alone you know i mean like it's that is powerful so i put myself out there i guess mainly for others because i've been there and i've been alone and wishing for someone that you know i could relate to you know so that's why i do it <laughs> this is powerful, powerful stuff, and we I appreciate everything that you do. It's just so amazing. And, and, and to us, you know, to those, you know, when you're going through stuff like that, and you're and you're helping others, it doesn't feel amazing. It just feels like what you need to do. 
you know, but but to those of us, you know, who are seeing it from the outside, it, it truly is. So, you know, I have a you know, ton of respect for you and everything you're doing. And speaking of that, uh, obviously, we've uh, you, you've succeeded in the 20 minute not talking about your business challenge, and then some. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic. So, uh, you know, being a man of my word, I want to give you five minutes to, you know, talk about what you do, how people can get in touch with you, you know, whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, part of my healing was, uh, I just started getting into, um, different creative outlets just out of necessary need. When I was a kid, I would write music and I still kind of write music, but I, as uh, you get to be an adult, you lose the opportunity um to like it's hard to be a singer songwriter with kids like you know like it's nights out and stuff like that so mm-hmm. uh, i suppress all that creativity but after that moment in time you know i had my rewiring moment i started looking for other creative outlets that i could do while the kids were asleep you know i put them to bed so i started getting into a couple of different things um the first thing and the first thing that really changed my life and turned into a like a hobby and turned into a monetary stream was um, macro photography so i started taking pictures because because that whole thing of wishing my life away and wish i was somewhere different i was like i don't live in costa rica or hawaii there's nothing beautiful here in ohio (laughs) so it became this personal challenge to start finding beauty right where i was and i didn't believe i was even going to find it i was like Mm. you know we'll see what happens yeah (laughs) so i started finding oh gosh, crazy beauty all around me, like by a dew drop on the grass, you know, and it sounds ridiculous. But the interesting thing is that started changing my perspective in all kinds of other ways. Because I started finding beauty in frost and beauty in all of the, all of the circumstances that I hated before. I hated winter. I hated all that. So I started taking these pictures and putting them out there. And people started like, can I buy that print? You know, and I'm like, I don't even know how to do that, I guess, you know. <laughs> So one thing kind of led to another, and then I started dabbling into um, painting. And here's an interesting thing. Um, I did not like abstract work before my moment, my Uh, breakthrough. I didn't even understand it. I got angry at abstracts. I'm like, what is that? (laughs) I need trees and cows and things. Um, So I became this abstract artist because I loved the idea of the feeling it evoked and what it did for a room and, um, you know, I really got into it. So I started doing that too. And again, people are like, can I buy it? I'm like, okay, sure. So now I'm a, I'm an artist. Um, I'm a nature photographer and I've also started a new business called Artnology. So what I did is I took all of these things cause I was in the corporate world for about 25 years or 30 years, you know, just to make it <laughs> to feed my kids and everything. Sure. And uh, so what I did is I've taken uh, me and my partner, I've taken this idea of corporate philosophies um, and the idea of teams and all that kind of stuff and art and infusing them together in this thing called artnology. This is what I'm most excited about this business idea. So we go into teams and we uh, do some team building activities, but it's not just like, okay, everybody paint a pineapple. pineapple. This is very different. We get together with teams and we uh, infuse psychology and emotional intelligence and um, true like core driving motives emerge through the activities that we provide. So while they're making their art or they're focused on that, they end up, um, these core driving motives end up coming out and we get to talk and discuss about why they do the things they do. So that's kind of like 
what's going on right now, artnology.com. You can go to our website and um, see what we're doing there because it's, it's a really exciting thing. It's something that is really different in the industry and we're super psyched about it. Yeah. I love your change, how you're changing, how people think and, and that, that's what creates real progress. So you know, thank you again for sharing artnology.com uh, and we'll make sure we have the link uh, and any other links you want in the show notes when we release it so everybody can come check you out. So, well, thank you very much. Any parting words? Um, just thank you. Thanks, Lee, for doing what you do and giving us all the opportunity to, you know, be uh, real. Well, it'll be nothing without you being real. So we appreciate you sharing your journey with us today. Lee, thank you so much. We are out of time, but if you found Lee After Dark more entertaining and relevant than the rest of the dreck out there, then subscribe to the Lee After Dark YouTube channel. And now get Lee After Dark in your pants. We're on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and who the heck knows where else. So you can enjoy us wherever you stick your phone. Until next time, this is Lee Rowley with my friend Lee Lander. Be present and be well.